if your competitor is neglecting their employer review site and you're managing yours and yours has stellar reviews, theirs has nothing but complaints and no responses, what type of advantage do you think that's going to give you? I think it's going to be a pretty good one. Are you a business leader looking for strategies and tactics to help you navigate leadership and HR challenges as you scale? Each week on While We Were Working, we bring you our 35 plus years of experience doing exactly this for companies just like yours. For more game-changing HR and leadership insights and to connect with us, check us out at whilewewereworking.com. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of While We Were Working. We have two very critical topics that you won't want to miss today. We are going to be talking about a SHRM article, are companies liable for an active shooter incident? Expectations are changing. And at bottom of our show in Consultants Corner, we're going to be talking about online employer review sites. But first, I want to welcome our very special guest co-host today, Britley Cox. Hi, Britley. Hi, Summer. How are you today? Doing well, thanks. We're so excited to have you back on this week's episode. It was a wonderful show with you last week. We're thrilled that you're here. I know we have a, quite a serious topic to talk about first in while we were working, and then a little lighter topic for Consultants Corner. So you ready to dive on in? Yep, let's go for it. Sherm has kept us on our toes this week and has brought in a very, um, very important topic. I think that when we're considering things such as active shooter incidents or other safety concerns in the workplace, you know, many aren't quite aware what they need to do or how to do it. And it's really important for all business owners to understand that they do have a general duty to provide a safe working environment for their employees. And so there's many things that we can do and many things that the article touches on in terms of compliance and liability. But what I'd really like to talk about is what different steps we can take in the workplace to make sure we're prepared for these different things, what potential trainings that might be appropriate policy and procedure, and maybe some specific um, examples of what processes should be put into place. I recognize that this is a very sensitive topic. And, you know, to that end, it is still important to talk about because as we work with small businesses every day, Brittley, I'm sure that you see that part of the work that we do is helping take a business from a place where they may not have processes in place to where they have solid and established processes. And so when it comes to that duty that you mentioned about keeping your team members safe, it is a, a very real obligation. And in terms of this article and uh, the reference to mass shooting specifically, there is an issue uh, regarding, you know, the responsibility being raised for third-party liability. And that's where 
an individual who has uh, suffered some sort of illness or injury as a result of an event sues the business for causing alleged harm. And in some of these cases, there actually have been actions that these companies could have taken in advance. And as you mentioned, they have a duty to do something to prevent it. And so, you know, no business is the same. But Brittley, I wanted to talk about like just some of the examples of things that businesses might want to be thinking about and real situations of things that uh, they can uh, or should be doing as it relates to keeping their team members safe. Absolutely. So let's talk about what businesses might want to be thinking about first here. Um, one thing that would be important is in an office, do you have a secure barrier to prevent unauthorized individuals from gaining access to the building? So is there some sort of secretary or reception area where someone's coming in to check in? Do we know who's in the building, how long they're there, or better yet, when they exit? I think one example as to why we would need to do that, that might be outside of the realm of having someone come in that might commit a crime. But even when we're thinking about things of such as you know, fires and acts of God. And if we would have to evacuate for any purpose, knowing who is inside the building is so important. And oftentimes that little detail is overlooked. Maybe we don't know who's in the building because it's a guest and we don't have that check-in or that barrier. And so again, this, this first idea, this first topic of checking in barriers for an unauthorized or authorized guest covers many areas of concern, be it from an active shooter coming in the building or something maybe domestic, but also fire acts of God and other issues that we should be concerned. So again, that barrier of gaining access is the first thing that we really need to consider to cover so many other topics. Yes, I, I would say there's a ton to talk about there. And some of the ways that I see this playing out in uh, some businesses on kind of things that I'm seeing happen that shouldn't be happening, but also things that companies are doing uh, to improve their security, side doors being left open, you know, doors to stairs where, you know, individuals, if they wanted to, could access the building. It's really important that companies are able to secure their workplace. And so when you were talking a little bit about, you know, having a barrier, that's really important. So if, you know, just any old person could walk into your office and have full access to, you know, the entire workforce, uh, that in my opinion is a definite gap and the company is not meeting their duty for keeping those team members safe. So it's definitely something to be thinking about. In uh, a lot of companies, they use the little key fobs. And I think those, uh, one, help with keeping the building secure, but it also creates that log that you were talking about, Britley, to know exactly who is and isn't in the building. So it kind of checks off two things at one time. One of the items that I wanted to chat about I've seen actually a couple of times in my career, and it is in regards to uh, current practices 
um, with maybe receiving calls or just inquiries about, hey, is an employee like is is Summer at work today? Like, can I talk to Summer? Like, and the reception says or whoever answers the call, no, she's not here today, or she's here but she's on another call. So while that may seem really innocent on the surface, you've just given information to whomever is calling that they can or cannot find a specific individual at work. So that may seem very innocent, but I want you to imagine that in the event of stalking, uh, domestic abuse, restraining orders, and any sort of threat, you've just provided information that could be potentially putting an employee at danger. And so the best practice is to not answer those questions whatsoever. Take a message, send it to email, but never share whether an individual is or is not at work under any circumstances. Brittley, what are your thoughts? I agree entirely. I also want to add, I think that, you know, some people may say, well, but what if it was my husband who I text every day when I get to work that I've gotten to work and he calls and asks if I'm there? Well, I think there are some workarounds to who has access to that information. And we can get that information when you're onboarding. So although we want to be secure and know who we can and can't give information to, we can always ask in onboarding, you know, who's your emergency contact? Who is somebody that we're able to release information to? Should somebody call for you? But we'll want to make sure that we're always vetting that person when they call. So the best practice is truly just to not answer those questions. But if you have a, a particular need where somebody maybe has somebody who calls in more often, have that discussion one-on-one -on -one with your particular employee, and you can handle that from there. I agree. And ultimately, it is about keeping your team members safe. So even if you have to tell somebody who you know may have received this information in the past or that it's a relative, you know, that you have a policy to keep your team members safe, while they may be frustrated, they should certainly see the underlying reason of why that practice needs to exist. So Brittley, I wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about training and needing to have your staff trained for these types of events. And so can you share with our listeners what type of training would be important? And if they're not doing it, how urgent is it for them to put on their, uh, you know, on their list of things to do? Absolutely. So First, to start with urgency, because as a business owner, you do have that general duty to provide a safe environment. I'd say it's pretty urgent. This should be something that you should put on your next agenda to talk with leadership and begin to build out these plans. Specifically, what plans? Well, basically any and all that we can think of. So from a fire drill to if you have tornadoes in your region or maybe hurricanes, active shooter, domestic violence situation all the way down to even just if you have clients that visit your office, a disgruntled client. So those happen too, and that can escalate very quickly. And if your team members don't know what to do when somebody maybe becomes first verbally, but potentially even physically aggressive when they're upset, those all need to be handled, put into those training procedures. And then I say best practices to train at least annually. 
And some of these can be hands-on training where maybe you're evacuating the building. You're actually doing a drill. So I know that might feel like we're back in elementary school, but we all knew where we were supposed to go all the way back then. And that's important. And so as adults, we need to know where are we going in the in these particular events? Because if we don't know where to go, we can't count the people. And then it comes all the way back to accountability. And it's the accountability of the business. It's the duty of the business to make sure that they know where their people are, that they were properly trained to know where to go so that they can continue to make sure that they know who's there and who may still be involved in a violent or potentially hazardous situation such as a fire. And I would say over the years of working in the office, I've actually encountered a wide variety of evacuations from an actual fire in the building to a fire on the hillside um, to what ended up being a fake bomb threat. Um, and fortunately, uh, we we did not experience um, you know any sort of active shooter situation, but the company I worked for at the time was committed to providing that training to the staff in the office. And part of that training actually educated uh, the team on, you know, where do they go? How do they position themselves? At what point do they exit? Do they try to negotiate or not negotiate? Where's the safe meeting point? Like all of the things that when you are in that type of situation, you don't want to have to be trying to figure out what's right or wrong. And I think going through that experience really opened my eyes to things like making sure that individuals don't have access to the main building and that um, there are secure business practices like locking the door and uh, a log of the team members that uh, are within the building. So really great topic. I know that there's a lot to manage from a business standpoint, but keeping your employees safe is indeed the most important thing a company can do. Absolutely. Any last thoughts on this topic, Britley, before we move on to Consultants Corner? No, I don't think so. I think we can move on. Okay. Well, we're going to shift gears to uh, a little bit of a lighter topic. And Consultants Corner is our weekly deep dive into a topic that we've received uh, either from our listeners and our community or questions that have come up during the course of our work with our, with our clients. And this is one that um, often leaves eyes um, pretty wide open after I start talking with clients about it. Um, but Britley, before we dive in, um, hopefully most people know about these online company review sites, but if you wouldn't mind just giving a quick overview of maybe some of those uh, sites that you're familiar with and what type of information is out there, we'll go ahead and start there. Absolutely. So I think one of the most popular would be Glassdoor. So Glassdoor, if you don't know what that is, it kind of holds your company information such as maybe how many employees you might have, what type of industry you're in. If you're not managing it, it's guessing, but it's usually pretty accurate. And it's usually pretty accurate because this is a site that your employees can review you. And so they're giving the information 
to Glassdoor. And so some of the things that they can they can review you on would be their salary range. They can discuss maybe how their interview went, what questions they were asked, how they answered those questions. They can review your recruiting process, how they thought that that went, and their general review of maybe what it was even if they were employed by you. And a lot of times people use these to air their grievances. Before we move on and talk a little bit more about that, Indeed is another one that's pretty similar to Glassdoor. Very, very similar, quite frankly. It asks some questions and allows the employee to, again, review on a variety of things. But ultimately, these platforms allow them not just to answer questions about you, but to type out their sometimes unfiltered thoughts about you. And so one question that often comes up is, oh my gosh, Britley, we got reviewed on Glassdoor and this employee is just thrashing what they think our work environment is like. And other people may not feel that way, but now if somebody's looking to come work for me, they're looking at this review and it's probably the first thing they see. And what do I do? Do I respond? Do you have any thoughts about that, Summer? I certainly do. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know about you, but I've definitely used uh, many of these sites in the past for two reasons. One, as a job seeker, to try to get that intel that you described about the company, because if you're going to join uh, a company, then you want to evaluate whatever information is out there that's going to help you with that decision. Now, as you indicated, Britley, I'm aware that individuals are more likely to go out, and it's similar to Yelp, they're more likely to go out and leave a negative review because they're motivated. They feel like they need to, you know, get back and like they were wrong. So this is their way of like trying to get even. And in using these sites, I think there's a lot of information that you can gather, but as you mentioned, not all of it's entirely accurate. And so I think if you are a business owner and you're not aware of these sites or you maybe are aware of them, but you aren't actively managing them, you are missing out. So Britley, uh, what are your thoughts on how employers should be managing these sites and what are the dangers to leaving it unmanaged? Absolutely. So I think first off, how should you be managing it diligently would be my, I had to give you a one word answer. Definitely diligently. You want to make sure that these reviews that are being posted similar to like a Google review for your business are not just sitting out there waiting for something to happen with them or other people to agree or like or thumbs up or thumbs down them. So I think that it's important to designate one, maybe two people in your business to keep an eye out on this. I think it's important that when you're managing these reviews, specifically negative ones, that Part of the process or the procedure even is to not respond immediately and not because we shouldn't respond soon, but because we don't want to respond in emotion. We don't want to respond without 
de-escalating ourselves and maybe even talking to leadership, depending what that review might just say. So in regards to diligently, doesn't necessarily mean right this second. The other thing that is really important when dealing with these reviews is to really take, take them seriously, but also understand who's writing them. These people worked for you. So keep that in mind, be considerate of those things. And when you finally get to the point that you're going to respond, we want to respond very professionally if that's what you choose to do and make sure that we're not airing any private information in those responses. It is so important to manage these. And that's why I felt like this is a topic to share with our listeners, because for a company that's doing nothing, if you're having trouble recruiting, then that's definitely an area to look at. Are you doing all of the work to actually identify and interview candidates? But then when they get to some of those final stages, they're reading all kinds of drama about your company online, and that's making them have second thoughts. And so, you know, it makes me think about really Yelp or even um, on Facebook where there's an ad and, you know, maybe there's less than pleasant comments about the product. What you will typically see is a professional response that uh, doesn't escalate the issue, but instead acknowledges, you know, the unhappiness or dissatisfaction. And like in the case of somebody who is maybe unhappy with a product online, you know, they will de-escalate it by saying, you know, please contact us at such and such email um, to, you know, further resolve your problem. So, you know, it is that acknowledgement that other people are seeing that hopefully, despite, you know, maybe a negative review, the reader is saying, well, but if the company's taking the time to respond, then that means that this is important to them and that they care. And so maybe it's not as bad as the employee actually said that it is. So I wanted to talk a little bit too about the strategies that companies can use to uh, leverage these sites to their benefit. Because we, we have talked about how to you know, manage those negative responses. Uh, but Brittley, what about companies who you know, might want to focus their efforts on one or two of these sites, uh, since there's just too many to try to tackle? and use them to their benefit to get positive reviews, how, how would a company go about that? Absolutely, I think that the best place to start to go about that is obviously with your current employees. So there's nothing wrong with asking your current, current employees to go and if they feel compelled to write a review, talk about the positives, maybe somebody has a big win or maybe somebody talks about how great the team is or whatever, you know, talk to them and say, would you mind? This is a great place to talk about how we can bring more like-minded people into our company. The other place that's a really great place to do this is in exit interviews, which I could have a whole episode on why I love exit interviews, but we won't hijack the show today, I promise. But Exit interviews are such a good place to, one, learn what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. But when you learn what you're doing right and you have somebody who maybe is just leaving for maybe they're moving or maybe the next step in their career just can't be with your business, but they love their time there, you learn it in the exit interview and then there's your ask right there. 
Could you please go on Glassdoor? We love that you shared this with us. We want others to hear about your experience here with us and just ask. So there's, it doesn't have to be salesy. It doesn't have to be not genuine, but use those opportunities when you see a current staff member in a win or those exit interviews when you've got that really positive one. Ask them to go. Put that positive review up there so others can see the great things that are happening in your business. One of the success stories that I wanted to share about this was uh, a company who was very intentional about collecting reviews. And so as part of their onboarding process, they determined that a certain interval, you know, whether that was 90 days or the six month point, that they were going to ensure that every single new hire received uh, an email. And that email was dual purpose. One, it was to check in with them from an HR standpoint, just see how they're doing, see if there's anything that we could help them with. And in many cases, you know, they'd respond back and just say like, thanks for the email. No, I'm good. Or, oh yeah, by the way, I meant to contact you for this. So we, you know, continue to build that relationship like HR to the team in a culture where like HR was kind of seen as like being evil. So it's like, wow, like maybe HR isn't so evil. And part of that outreach was, hey, if you've enjoyed your time working with us, then we would love to get your feedback. If you could just take a couple of minutes, here's the link. If you have some challenges, just respond to this email and then let's talk them out. So it's trying to get in front of somebody leaving and then airing their grievance online. And hopefully, you know, if you are consistent with that, you will start to gain positive reviews. I think you have to expect you're going to get the occasional negative review and you respond to it just as we indicated you would. And now these sites are now being used to your advantage. So I want if you're a business owner to think about if your competitor is neglecting their employer review site and you're managing yours, and yours has stellar reviews, theirs has nothing but complaints and no responses, what type of advantage do you think that's going to give you? I think it's going to be a pretty good one. And Brittley, uh, while we have just a few minutes, a few more minutes before wrapping today's show, do you have any other thoughts on this topic? You know, all I have to say, Summer, is doing this in onboarding is such an interesting thing to do. And I really like that. I actually hadn't thought of that. So here I am in our podcast learning a little bit more. And I think that I just want to push that a little further in that I really think businesses should consider it because you're right. You will get from time to time, maybe that negative review. So that risk is there in asking everyone. But even the negative review then becomes a positive for you because you know the negative upfront in the early stages. Maybe we can correct it. By the way, those can be edited. So we can always go back, correct what's wrong for this employee, create longevity for them, and then maybe they'll change it later. Maybe they'll be able to turn that negative into a positive and it's a win-win all the way around. So Summer, really, I thank you for sharing that because it's not something that I myself had considered. Well, that makes me so happy because as you know, in HR and really in running a business, there are so many different ways to tackle 
different challenges. There's, you know, so many different solutions, but I think that each company needs to determine what's going to work best for them. But the biggest takeaway is have a plan um, versus not having a plan and be consistent and the results will come. So I think that's going to wrap up this week's episode of While We Were Working. Britley is always um, such a pleasure having you on the show. Appreciate your knowledge, your opinion, and your insight. And uh, hopefully we'll see you on here again real soon. Thank you so much, Summer. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Britley. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Got more questions? Then make sure you check out whilewewereworking.com for more tips and resources. Or shoot us a message on social media. See you next week.